For those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm Andrew. I'm the campus minister with RUF at Davidson. And it's just really good to, to be with you and to look at God's word together tonight. And so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to Lamentations chapter five. You know, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks of the semester, um, or the first few weeks of the semester, you know that we've been in this series, which we're calling or which we've called Good Grief, Ancient Songs for Today's Sorrows. And tonight we're actually closing out that series. So we're going to look at the last few verses of Lamentations. Um, and kind of as we jump into this passage, it's Lamentations 5, really verse 15 through the end of the chapter, I just kind of want to highlight one of the, one of the challenging aspects of, re- of reading and studying and kind of wrestling with this book, this book of Lamentations. There, there are a number of challenges, um, but one of the biggest ones is that we are almost literally worlds away from the world of this book. We are thousands of years and thousands of miles removed from when this book was written and where it takes place. And so there's, there's kind of this big gap, this cultural divide that we need to, we need to cross. And, you know, maybe, maybe even last week's sermon raised some questions as to like, how does, you know, how does God's judgment, how does his anger, how does that translate to my life today and to current events? And I just want to address that question head on, because I think it's a really, really good question. And I think as we read Lamentations and kind of wrestle with grief, there's one key difference that we have to keep in mind between us and the people for whom this this book was originally written. And that key difference is for them, for these ancient Israelites, they knew uh, the source of their grief. They knew the source of their particular grief. You know, we've mentioned this before, but the setting for this book is the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred in 586 BC. And the book itself, along with other books of the Old Testament, they they tell us specifically that that the the destruction and the grief were brought on uh, because of God's judgment over sin. Uh, It's clearly laid out. In fact, in our passage, you know, it's even alluded to in verse 16, when the people cry out, woe to us for we have sinned. That, that is, that is d- different from our experience of grief in that, for us, the immediate source of our grief today isn't, isn't clear. And, and so, like, we, we don't know why exactly we suffer particular disasters or calamities like COVID or like Hurricane Katrina or like 9-11. I mean, the Bible doesn't lay it out. For us specifically, this is because of this. Though the Bible does teach that all of grief is ultimately a result of human sin and rebellion, it can be traced all the way back to the fall um, in the garden, Adam and Eve's sin. It is really vain to, for us to just kind of wonder, hey, is this particular disaster God's judgment? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, uh, and and even going beyond that, uh, it's it's foolish of us to assume that a particular calamity has fallen upon a particular person or group of people because of their particular sin. And I, I use that that strong word foolish because that's exactly what 
the book of Job teaches. That's even what, what Jesus teaches when, when, during his earthly ministry. We can't draw one-to-one parallels uh, between particular sins and particular griefs. And so as we close out this series tonight, the series on Lamentations, what, what God's people, what Christians need to remember is that though we can't be confident about the source of our grief, we can be confident about the end of our grief. So with all that introductory remarks, comments uh, in mind, let's, let's look at God's word together. I'll read it out loud for us, and I invite you to follow along with me, uh, either in your Bible or in the handout, the PDF that Emma sent out. So Lamentations 5, chapter 5, starting in verse 15. This is God's word. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. This is God's word. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, as we do um, come to your word and open it up, and as it lays open before us, we ask that you would open up our hearts to this word and to yourself. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been at a loss for words in the presence of grief? Maybe it's in the presence of your own grief. Maybe you've just gone through a really difficult breakup and you bump into a classmate in the union or in commons and unknowingly they ask you the the naive, the, the, the perfectly innocent question, hey, how are you? How are you doing? In that moment, have you ever felt that, that loss for words? How, how do I respond to that question, right? Like, do I, do I give them the truth? The whole truth, nothing but the truth? Or do I kind of, you know, soften it? Or do I uh, deflect or avoid um, giving an honest answer because I can't bear to share what I'm going through? Maybe it's in the presence of someone else's grief. Maybe you have a friend who's just lost a grandparent and you see them and you're thinking to yourself, gosh, what, what do I say? What is there to say? What can I say to this friend who is hurting so badly? Have you ever been at a loss for words in the presence of grief? One of the greatest challenges of any grief and all grief is, is the challenge to allow those, those deep questions and yearnings of our hearts to, to rise to the surface and to actually give voice to them or to invite others 
those who are grieving to give voice to them. But the beauty of biblical lament, uh, whether that's biblical lament in, in general, but, but in particular, the beauty of Lamentations 5 is that these words do just that. They allow our deep questions and yearnings, the deep yearnings of our heart to rise to the surface. So as we'll see in these verses, these last several verses of the book of Lamentations, which is itself a prayer of lament, we'll see that God gives us his people a vocabulary for our grief. He gives us a vocabulary for our grief. He gives us words, utterances, which we can use to express these deep, deep questions and yearnings, the deep questions and yearnings of our heart, that, and in particular, the questions and yearnings about the end of grief. And so our vocab words for tonight are, are pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, first, where, as in, where is the end of grief? Second, here, as in here is the end of grief. And then third, really? As in, is, is this really the end of grief? So let's just jump in together uh, as God teaches our hearts uh, to speak and gives our hearts vocabulary words for grief. So the first word up is where. Where is the end of grief? Look, look with me again at verses 15 through 18, the first couple of verses of our passage. Um, as you read these, as we read these together, uh, the image that the author of Lamentations conjures up uh, is, is like something out of a scene from a World War II movie, you know, where, where the camera pans a city that has just been bombed, or it's like a scene out of like a, a post-apocalyptic zombie film, because in the aftermath of, of the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC, what do we see? What do we read? In verse 15, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. The key word I want to focus here is that word desolate. Mount Zion lies desolate. Mount Zion is, is another term for Jerusalem. That once beautiful and bustling city on a hill, the city of God, the place where God's glory dwelt, it's now ruins. It's now a ghost town. And God's people have been carried away into exile in chains and shackles. And so the question arises naturally in the heart of God's people, where, where is the end of grief? Where is the end to our grief, our suffering? Where's the end to this devastation? It's nowhere in sight. Our eyes can't see it. They have grown dim and our hearts are sick. 
the question, the, the question from deep within our hearts and their hearts is where is God? Where is God in the midst of this? Look at verse 20. The question is, why, O Lord, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? In other words, God, where in the world are you? Let me just pause right there and ask you, did you know that you can address God this way? Did you know that you can bring even these brutally honest questions to him? And oftentimes our hearts do, they, they do grow sick with grief. As the author says in verse 17, our hearts go numb. They, they, they fall speechless. And yet deep underneath the surface, they're just, they're full of questions. In the midst of grief, our hearts wonder, where is everyone? Where are my friends? Where are my comforters? Where is God? Why? Why did he let all of this happen? Lamentations is God's invitation to you to give voice to those brutally honest questions of your grieving heart. And, and before we move on, I just want to point out that invitation, God's invitation to you, is even in it's 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 even in the original name of this book. You know, in English, it's been called Lamentations, but originally the book the, the book's original name, its Hebrew name, uh, was How. How? It's the it's the first word of the book. How lonely is how the book starts, and that 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 question that word how uh, it. it it gets repeated again and again. You see it again in verse or chapter two, verse one, how the Lord in his anger has set Zion under a cloud. And then again in verse or chapter four, verse one, how the gold has grown dim. The, the, the Hebrew word there is this word, echa. Echa. It, I mean, it even just sounds like this deep heart yearning. And, and honestly, a, a, a good translation of that word, it's not just how, but, but almost how awful that, or how terrible that. You can bring these, these brutally honest questions to God. And I wanna give us kind of two practical, two specific things we can do in this regard first we can keep a prayer journal and record. We can write down our questions for God. Questions like, why, oh Lord, did you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen? Where are you, God? I long to see your face. Why do you turn your face from me? Why do you abandon me? The Lord invites us to share those deep yearnings of the heart Another practical thing that we can do is meditate on uh, prayers of lament found in scripture. And, and certainly they're here in Lamentations. And so I'd encourage you to go back and meditate on these words some more, even after we're done tonight. But also there are plenty, I've, I've said this before, there are plenty of Psalms of lament. Spend time in the Psalms. Meditate on these words of scripture 
Um, in particular, you know, Psalm 13 is a good psalm of lament to, to meditate on. If I can turn there, I'll just give you the first couple of verses. Psalm 13 begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I think a lot of us are afraid to be that honest with God. And yet, here it is in Scripture, this invitation to actually be that honest with him. So this brings us to our second vocab word, the word here, as in here is the end of grief. You know, it's interesting. Um, usually, you know, around Christmas, uh, when the Christmas cards start, start coming, coming to our house, uh, usually there's a variety of designs um, and, and a variety of scripture verses or hymn lyrics, you know, that get put on the front uh, over the picture of the family. Um, not so much this year. You know, Amanda and I noticed that there actually wasn't that much of a variety. In fact, there was a clear winner among all the Christmas cards for the most popular hymn lyric. Can you guess what that hymn lyric was? A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Just a line out of the Christmas carol, O Holy Night. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense that that would be the most popular, you know, hymn verse, hymn, hymn lyric on 2020 Christmas cards. Because this past year has just been one of the most, if not the most, challenging year that, years that any of us have ever gone through that we've ever experienced. The entire world literally is weary and just longing for a thrill of hope, this, this glimmer of sunlight to pierce through the darkness of our dark and weary world. Here in Lamentations, which is one of the darkest books of the entire Bible, it's recording the darkest day in Israel's history. Here in Lamentations, God whispers a word of hope to our weary, heavy hearts. We see that here in our passage in verses 19 and 21. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. A bright glimmer of hope, even as the city lay, lays in ruins and it's desolate. And, and we've seen this before, right? I mean, if you go and look back, Honestly, one of the brightest rays of hope in all of the Old Testament and all of Scripture is found in the middle of this book, in Lamentations chapter 3. Because in verses 22 and 23, some of you know these words by heart. God's word says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
again, these are some of the, these are some of the brightest, most hopeful words in all of scripture here in Lamentations. So here's the point. We don't know how, we don't know when, but we can trust that God's reign, even over our grief, even over our darkness, that it will come. I mean, Psalm 139 says, darkness is as light with you. And we can cry out in the midst of our grief, whatever our grief may be. We can cry out to God to restore us and to renew us even right now, even as the darkness threatens to overtake us. So one of my favorite scenes in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings uh, trilogies is in the second film um, during the battle at Helm's Deep. So all you Tolkien fans, uh, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't know the story, there's this great battle between uh, the forces of evil, Saruman's orcs and Urukai, and the, the, the soldiers of Rohan. And the men, the soldiers are, are holed up in Helm's Deep, which is this fortress. And it's looking really bleak for them. They're outnumbered. Um, the enemy has breached the outer wall. And, and there's this scene when almost all hope is gone where these, these orcs, these monsters are just beating down the door, the, the last door, the last stop between the enemy and, and the armies of Rohan and their families, which are holed up inside Helm's Deep. And in that moment when all hope seems to be lost, Aragorn, he remembers the words that Gandalf told him, Gandalf the, the white wizard. And so there's this moment where, the, where they're fighting and where they're trying to keep the door shut. When Aragorn looks to the window and sees the, the rays of light coming through the morning light. And then you hear Gandalf's voice because Aragorn is rem remembering the promise that Gandalf made. He's hearing Gandalf say, look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day at dawn look to the east and that give that fortifies Aragorn uh, that, that gives him uh, the, the hope to press on to endure to wait for Gandalf to come and sure enough Gandalf comes bringing reinforcements with him and that completely turns the tide of the battle even in your deepest darkest grief when all hope seems lost God still whispers words of hope and comfort and love and grace and invites you to wait on him. Again, going back to Lamentations chapter three, right after those verses I just read, there's this promise in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to wait on the Lord. It, it might feel like a fool's errand. It might feel pointless. It might feel like it goes on forever. 
but God promises to be faithful to those who wait for him. And as I just said, waiting is difficult. It, it, it's really, really hard, and it's, it's filled with all sorts of, of tension. And, and this brings us to our third and final vocab word for the night, which is really? Look, at, look, look, look with me at verses uh, 21 and 22, the last two verses of the entire book. The end of verse 21 says, renew our days as of old. And then 22 says, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The end. That's how Lamentations ends. And I, I got to acknowledge that um, verse 22, um, all the commentaries I looked at, all of them acknowledged that verse 22 is actually really a really difficult verse to translate. Um, our English translations start with unless you know, renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us. Um, but there, there's reason to think that a, an even better translation might be renew our days as of old, even if you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Now, whichever way you translate it, I just want to point out that, that both translations leave us in this place of tension. It, they leave us asking, really, Lord? Is, is this the end of grief? Our hearts can't rest here. Because whether you translate it, renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and you're, and you're wrestling with this tension of, of faith and doubt and hope and despair, or you translate it, renew our days as of old even if you have utterly rejected us. Again, there's this tension of, of God, you're committed to us, and we know that, and yet we're experiencing your anger that feels like it will never subside. So what do you do with that tension? You know, our, our hearts don't like tension. We're, we're hardwired for resolution. Just a, a case in point, um, a friend of mine tells a story of, of, of a young man, I think probably high school aged, who um, plays the piano and has kind of mild OCD. Um, and according, you know, according to my friend, uh, he had a, a habit of not really being able to get up out of bed in time for school, like, you know, wasn't able to get ready in time, have breakfast see the family run off to school. He usually hit the snooze button too many times. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Um, but one thing that his mother learned to do, again, remember, this is a piano player with some mild OCD. Uh, one thing that his mother would do to get him out of bed and to get him to come downstairs is she would go to the family piano in the living room. And while her son was still up in his bedroom, she would go and play a scale. And she would play do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. And then she would stop. And then you would hear a big, oh, and like, uh, you know, an adolescent rolling out of bed, running through the door, stomping down the stairs, running over to the piano, and then hitting that high C, do, to finish the scale. Because he just couldn't bear that tension 
that that unresolved that 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 lack of resolution um, of the scale, and that's that's the way that our hearts are hardwired. They long for resolution. They struggle with tension. And yet the book of Lamentations is filled with tension. Honestly, I think because life is filled with tension. Tension between hope and despair, faith and doubt, or as we've seen, tension between mercy and justice, love and anger. It runs through the whole book and it's only fitting that it ends with this word of tension. Renew us unless you've rejected us, unless you remain exceedingly angry with us. And one of the things that you see, you know, it, it's almost as if, it's almost as if the whole book kind of ends with an ellipsis, with a dot, dot, dot. What's gonna happen? How does this, how does this get resolved? And, you know, as you go and read the rest of the Old Testament and you, and you read the rest of the Old Testament story, there is some resolution, right? So the exile does end. God's people do return. The city and the temple get rebuilt. But even then, even at the very end of the Old Testament, there's still tension. There's the tension of, sure, the people return and God's temple gets rebuilt, but it's nothing, it, it, it's nothing like the glory of the first temple. God's people, God's own people say that. And even after the people return, um, they still bring their sin with them. They still, they still rebel against God. They still commit the same sins that, that, that led them into exile to begin with. And so you could even argue that the whole Old Testament ends with an ellipsis, with a dot, 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 with a tension, leaving us yearning for resolution. How is this story going to end? How is this story going to be resolved? And that tension remains all the way up until we meet Jesus of Nazareth. And, and, and even then it remains all the way up until the cross the cross of Christ. But there at the cross, the tensions get resolved because there at the cross, Jesus took our place and he uttered, he asked the most brutally honest question that any man, any human being could ask. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out to his father, why have you forsaken me? Because he has taken on all of our grief and he's experienced the utter darkness of God's abandonment, of God rejecting him as he bears our sins in his body on the cross and as he bears our grief. He cries out, the most brutally honest question any of us could ever cry out, why have you forsaken me? And there at the same time on the cross, he still clung to that ray of hope. He still clung to his father's love through faith. And as he breathed his last, he said, 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And again, as we look upon the cross, we see that Jesus and Jesus alone resolves the great tension of lamentations, the great tension of the whole Old Testament, the great tension of our hearts. He resolves it all because he gets up underneath our grief and destroys the root cause. He puts an end to our sin. You know, if we started by, by acknowledging, look, we don't know uh, particular causes for particular grief, but we do know that all grief comes out of sin. If there were no sin, there would be no grief. Well, Jesus puts an end to our sin at the cross. And so there at the cross is the beginning of the end of our grief. You know, St. Augustine, uh, his famous line, a lot of you probably know it, is that our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find their rest in you. And kind of applied to the book of Lamentations, we could say that, that grief minus God equals restlessness. Grief minus God equals weariness. Grief minus God equals hopelessness. But grief plus God equals resolution, equals restoration, equals renewal. Only Christianity, of all the world religions and of all the worldviews, deals honestly with grief and our inability to eradicate it. We, we've, we've come a long way, the human race. You know, we've made tons of technological advancements, tons of medical advancements, we still have yet to eradicate grief and suffering and pain and sorrow on our own. Only Christianity says you can't get rid of it yourselves. God has to come into your grief and root it out from the inside out. He's got to remove the, the cancer, the tumor of sin, and that's exactly what he does in and through Jesus, where he puts an end to our grief at the cross. And that's exactly what he's going to do when Jesus returns. Because in that day, that day without sin, there will be no more tears, no more crying. While in Lamentations, God's people's dancing was turned into mourning, the day that Jesus comes back, our mourning will be turned back into dancing. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would, that you would give uh, words to our hearts. Lord, free us to bring our honest questions to you. Lord, encourage us to wait on you to trust in you, to hold out hope for you. And Lord, would you um, help our hearts find rest in the cross of Christ? We ask that he would come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.